Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Just over two years ago, our guest was told he had inoperable lung and pericardial sac cancer. Without chemotherapy, he had six months to live. With chemo, maybe a year. He has a remarkable story about how cannabis saved his life in six months. Today, he is cancer-free and has the medical records to prove it. Joining us from Illinois is Darren Miller. Darren, it's good of you to do this, and uh, we finally connected. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we uh, we love what you guys are doing, being able to take this to an open platform to the to the social media, and uh, I believe that's how you know this is growing the way it is. It surely is not our representatives and our, our laws are not being uh, changed. The states are taking over, and uh, look what it's gotten. It's saved a few lives, and uh, we believe if it saved just one, it should be descheduled. I mean, simply enough. Darren, what was your health like prior to your diagnosis of cancer? I had to fight the government, of course, for seven or eight years to get disability. I have stage three multiple sclerosis. Been on disability for just a couple of years with that uh, after fighting them for so long. And uh, I was debilitated. I was, uh, wasn't using cannabis a few years back. I had started in 2000, early 2015 with my MS for the spasticity, for all the problems I got. With me being stage three, I was, uh, I was on a cane. I was uh, you know, having a hard time with uh, a lot of the uh, complications of that. And then, boom, the cancer came. And then that's when our uh, our knowledge of cannabis went into hyperdrive. We had uh, actually got a hold of some people uh, immediately. What happened was my health was okay. I was just an MS patient. But once you get hit with a terminal cancer diagnosis, ours came. I kind of knew it a week before they diagnosed me. I, I felt it. I told my wife I didn't feel good. But my health was okay. And then overnight, it just it did a 180. Uh, I had gained eight pounds in just a couple of days. And with me not eating correctly, having the MS, I told the wife I couldn't breathe correctly, and I had gained some weight. And she said, well, let's go get checked. I said, I don't want to. They're going to tell me I got cancer. I'll be damned if uh, it wasn't a matter of want to. It was a have to. My health got so poor that I couldn't breathe. I was in congestive heart failure because uh, normal people have 70 milliliters of fluid in their pericardium to protect their heart. I had 890 in mine. My heart was the size of a football. We went to the hospital, and within 10 minutes of being in the ER, they did an ultrasound, seeing this problem, and stuck a very huge, like a two-foot rod into the middle of my chest and started pushing on it, and they drained uh, 890 milliliters out of my heart. And that's when they told me that uh, they were sent it to, to labs, but it looked, uh, you know, it looked like I had some type of cancer. They didn't know, but it, that was July the 26th of 2015. So uh, they drained that fluid off and left me sitting in the hospital a few days and told me that I needed to uh, switch hospitals to go for an open-heart surgery because – the labs came back that it was a malignant cancer in the pericardium. So now they needed to find out where it had come from. So on July 31st, 2015, my 50th birthday, my present was open heart surgery to be told that I had stage four lung adenocarcinoma with pericardial involvement. So I had a tumor in my lungs, which had metastasized to the heart sac, grew fingers all over it, and it was bleeding on the inside and filling full of blood and putting me in congestive heart failure. That's where it all started. Darren, I just want to say, when the doctor told you of your diagnosis, 
tell me what was going through your mind. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I, I kind of knew I was sick because I, I felt inside my body nothing I'd ever felt before. I was scared to go to the doctor because I knew what he was going to tell me. I had spit up some pink, uh, some pink blood in my uh, saliva days before. My hands and feet were cracking open like athletes' feet, and I was bleeding out of my hands and feet for a month, and I didn't know why. Well, after mm-hmm. many dermatologist visits and thousands of dollars on salves and ointments, it wouldn't stop. The cancer hit. We knew right away what was going on. My heart was in such bad shape that uh, my body was trying to steal all the nutrients out of its extremities to try to work on this. And it was actually uh, making my hands and feet gangrenous. But the miracle was as soon as we started this oil, within days, that started to clear up. Within four or five days, it was gone. So we knew then that we had a good palliative care drug here, that I was going to be comfortable while I passed. Because uh, with this line of events that had happened – you have blood in your heart. The only way to stop this is to uh, is to stop the bleeding. Well, the bleeding is not going to stop because it's a cancerous growth around the pericardium. So they did what was called a pericardial window. Now, when you're in tamponade, it means your heart is being pressed and it cannot beat. You're in complete congestive heart failure. That's what I was dealing with. It was going to keep bleeding. They was going to keep having to drain it, which means I was terminal. They said they was going to give me six months if I didn't do chemotherapy. Well, here's the kicker. <laughs> in order to save my life, I was bleeding to death inside my pericardium. They put talcum powder inside of my heart after they drained it and massaged it in so it would coagulate. So at this moment, we looked this up. This surgery has only been survived 2.7 months of the medial survival of that surgery because it's to get you out of heart failure, but it's not to save your life. It's to keep you from dying right now. So uh, they brought me out of surgery and told me they did the surgery. They put powder in my heart. Uh, three or four days later, it started to dry up, and they had already closed my, my, my chest incision. They sent me home and said I had three months to live. And here's the mindset. First of all, how do you take that kind of news, and where do you put it? The wife's on her knees crying to the doctor, what can we do, anything? And he told my wife that uh, at this point, I was on palliative care, which means hospice was next. We would see organs shut down soon because uh, your kidneys be the first affected by this. Uh, there's no Lasix that can get you out of it. You know, you're gaining water. And, and fluid weight. There was nothing they can do except for uh, let it run its course now. So uh, they started and wanted to give me a palliative care chemotherapy, and they said that's all they could offer me because that's all they had at this point medically to do. Well, me and my wife had already uh, been researching with those last few days when we heard this. Uh, I had been smoking cannabis, and so had my little brother. We both have multiple sclerosis along with a cousin and a niece. It's not hereditary, but four of us in our family have it. I believe it's, uh, it's where you live. <laughs> I live in Granite City next to one of the biggest steel mills in the United States. You know, it's really not very clean here. So after we get this news, my health is failing. I'm dying. I know it. I feel it. I look it. We have just a couple more days in the hospital, and they release me home. And then that's where the fun started. I don't know if you guys know a guy named Mark Peterson. I Colorado. do. I, I know him, and he, he's on my page, etc. He's an angel among men. This man is, is unbelievable. Anyway, thousands of people try to talk to him because of uh, his help for people. And uh, he returned my wife's phone call and told her, you need a very high indica strain of cannabis oil, hopefully over 55% in its total cannabinoid profile, but as higher you can get the THC, the better. He says what this does is causes apoptosis and brings your body back to homeostasis. I started throwing all these words at us. We're thinking, okay, we started writing things down, made some phone calls. The next day, we were in a car from Illinois driving 2,000 miles to California after my first chemotherapy treatment. And I was uh, bleeding from the mouth, the feet, the hands, uh, we cried at everything we see in every mountain, every turn. You know, this is the last time we're going to see these things, and we knew it. But uh, we went straight to California because Mark Pedersen did not have uh, the supplies to help us at the time. Even though he's a caregiver out of California, 
you know, things are still, uh, you just can't help everybody. There's too many of us. So, uh, we ended up on this road trip to California and that's, uh, that's when we ran into the problem of, uh, residency, how to find the right medicine, you know, cause it wasn't recreational then it was still a medicinal product of California. People think this is some kind of a joke. You know, you walk into the dispensary out there and they're locked guarded dispensaries with people with guns and, and, and I ask, I need this certain medicine. And they said, oh, yeah, we got it right here. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, these these stoner teenagers are going to kill me. They don't even know what I'm talking about. And they had medicine, but it wasn't the right stuff. I mean, we was pretty specific on what we needed. We had talked to Mark Pedersen. In our journeys now, we're in contact with Rick Simpson, which really helps a lot now. But this was after the cure. I could ramble on a long time here. Uh, I'll let you get back in here. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it, it's a very interesting story. We're uh, sitting here kind of mesmerized, just yeah, soaking just, it in. Just uh, keep going, because uh, I think it's a fascinating story. Okay, so uh, when you get this kind of news, first of all, it's it's surreal. You know, me, I was able to put this in his place because he told me we had to get our affairs in order. That means burial plots, uh, you know, all, everything that goes with a uh, somebody's going to pass away soon. Uh my mom had passed away from cancer. My little brother had passed away from a, an opioid uh, pill addiction at a young age, both in this home that we stay in, because uh, everybody seems to come to our home to want to pass away. We're like our home hospice. We don't really allow the nurses to do much. We take care of our home. We always have. We come home, and we, we, we made that trip to California. After three or four uh, tries, uh, we found the right medicine. But first of all, I had to get residency. You have to live there to get medicine. So I took my records with me. Showed it to a doctor, and once he seen I had six months to live, maybe shorter, they gave me a cannabis card immediately because I had a lease and I had an apartment. So all in one day, I was able to get residency, find the medicine, and start taking it. We found the medicine, and where we found it was on uh, Melrose Avenue at a place called the Emerald Room Dispensary. Uh, I believe uh, Mike Tyson and a few other people have some ties and investments in this dispensary. Uh, a couple of famous basketball players, you know, some sporting people go there and get their, their cannabis oils and their, their smokes and stuff. But uh, we knew we had the right medicine because of the way we asked him. We knew we needed something that was not made with naphtha. We wanted something more clean, made with the Everclears. We didn't want a CO2 product. We wanted it washed with Everclear alcohol. We wanted it cooked down. We wanted a basic raw material because we found out that most people making their homemade medicines are making a better quality medicine than any dispensary can give you. We found this out that... We had ours tested, our homemade oils, and uh, we're running the 80-90% range. My dispensary wasn't touching nothing like that for the last year and a half. They were in the 50s and 60s. So uh, we went with the medicine we got from California. We only got 20 grams. Well, I need 60 of these grams, they say, to even start touching this cancer. So we came home from California a week later, you know, took a week to drive home. And I'm eating this 20 grams. And this, after about 10 days, I realize I'm getting down to a few. I end up doing 129 grams in 120 days because... The euphoric feeling was not a problem for me because I had already been smoking cannabis. I liked the way it feels. And I knew that I was dying. So with our research, we found out about the Schedule One hypocrisy of our government. We found out a lot about the Stanley Brothers and their other Charlotte's wet plant on the CBD value. But we knew for a fact that we needed indica strain of THC for the resting qualities because when you rest, you heal. And uh, we were going verbatim what Rick Simpson had taught us except for the way he washed his plant. We got the 20, came home, wasn't enough. End up getting back in the car, and now Mark Pedersen comes involved. We go back to Colorado a week later, and we stay at Mark's house, and he teaches me how to uh, how to make this medicine, which uh, the Rick Simpson videos and things online are just as basic as they can get. They've got it really simple. You know, A lot of people have a problem with uh, 
with access to cannabis, they have a problem with access to large amounts. That's the problem. If you could grow this in your yard, if you could just do your own legally, you could have so many, uh, you know, more benefits of, of being able to take this medicine than, than trying to run around and buy this at these dispensaries or, or try, you know, trying to find it. That's the problem. A lot of people are misinformed. They don't have the right education. They go into this blinded. And I would think people who are dying, like I was, would be seriously researching this, not taking the words of people that are saying they know what's going on. you got to go right to the source, to the dying people, to the patients, to the people who are, are growing and making this medicine. And it's not hard to find these people. you just got to get on the Internet and you got to find them. Darren, once you started taking the cannabis oil, how soon did you notice that something was happening within your body? Oh, I knew within two days because uh, the first time I took it, of course, there was no dosage chart made yet. My wife made a dosage chart to kind of revamp the one that's on the Internet. But we didn't know you had to start off with small amounts of this and then double it and build tolerance to be able to acquire, to be able to take this 60 grams in the 90 days. So I got my first gram. I only had 20 of them. And I squirted about half of that on my finger, put it in my mouth and tasted it and told my wife it tasted exactly like a real strong cannabis. I had no idea what I was getting into because about an hour later, she said that I kind of curl up in fetal position in the front seat of this little Volkswagen we're driving in. And she didn't see me again for about five or six hours. And when I woke up, I had like a moment, zoom, I was sitting up, sitting in the car, I was awake, and I said, well, how you doing, baby? And she said, you've been out for almost five hours. She thought I was dead. She's checking my pulse and everything. I learned then that this medicine will scare the hell out of you, but it cannot hurt you. And we figured out why. All these medicines that you take, these opioids, these you know alcohol things, they affect your respiratory. As soon as you have medicated yourself to the point to where it puts your sleep, your, your breathing to sleep, you are going to die. That's that's just why these medicines do that. They cause respiratory inaction. Cannabis doesn't do that. It's one of the only drugs known that does not affect the respiratory system whatsoever. So there is no lethal dosage to this. You could not try to try to, to overdose on this. Overdose is dizziness, hungriness, scared. You get scared to death if you overdose on this. But if you lay down and go to sleep, it's gone in three or four hours. There's no medicine in the world like this except for a uh, the cannabinoids in this plant, and it's it's just a miracle. But I knew as soon as I started taking this, within three days, the bleeding in the hands and feet stopped. The nausea I was getting from the chemotherapy they were giving me, which was uh, I did six rounds of carboplatin and pemetrexid, some of the strongest stuff they can give you. Doctor kept telling me he's going to knock the hair off my head, and I told him, well, I'm doing this cannabis oil. He said, well, you keep eating your leaves. I said, I'm not eating leaves. I'm taking a, a tincture. Well, you go ahead and keep smoking your weed. He didn't understand. But two or three months later, when this CAT scan and PET scan starts coming back clear and blood work normal, then I said, you need to test me. We're doing something. I think we're curing this. He said, you're on Medicare. They're not going to cover a test unless it's needed. Since you're getting better, they ain't going to test you. Just keep doing what you're doing. We'll do what we're doing. We'll meet in the middle. Well, six months later, I got a, I got the results from the hospital. They can never tell I had cancer except for I powder my heart. And that's just... Just nobody ever sees that. It's just weird. So I'm kind of a one-of-a-kind miracle-walking man, and uh, I don't take that for granted at all. Every day is, you know, I've got three or 4,000 people daily in my messenger that are asking me. I've got people knocking on my door from Ireland wanting to stay in our guest bedroom, and they can. I will help them the best I can, but uh, it's just a shame that I can have cannabis right here, and I can travel five minutes away in Missouri and go to prison for what I'm doing. It's just insane. The hypocrisy of our government having a scheduled class on this as a one with that having no medical value, but then holding again the patent for it and then administering it to veterans in some states. It's, I just don't get it. Darren, what was that day like when you were clear? 
oh my God, I woke up in the morning, of course, after six months of eating this, I was feeling good, but I didn't really know. My pictures looked like I was, I was healed. My blood work was coming back completely normal. So eight o'clock, I think it was January of 2016 at about eight o'clock in the morning, we get a phone call from our oncologist and he says, uh, I got your results back from your PET scan. First one I'd had in six months since I was diagnosed. He said, Darren, I can't find it. Of course, I said, come again. Can't find what? He goes, I can never tell by looking at these scans you've ever had cancer, except for you have powder in your heart. <laughs> so I run upstairs, down the street. I'm still in my underwear from a wake-up, and I'm screaming at my neighbors who all know what's going on. <laughs> I cured cancer. And they said, well, you took chemotherapy. And I said, chemotherapy doesn't cure cancer. <laughs> Look it up. It does not. It kills cells, all the small cells of your body, but it does not cure cancer. It could put you in a remission state. But it does not cure cancer. Now, did the chemotherapy help my cancer cure? Absolutely. I think that in conjunction, a synergy of all those cannabinoids in a full extract cannabis oil. We're talking about an RSO here. Rick Simpson's method is the best way. It is a. It gives you every cannabinoid in a plant because you're using the the stems, the plants, the buds, the trim, the whole kit and caboodle, and uh, those hundreds of cannabinoids in synergy with chemotherapy. At a terminal diagnosis, that's about the best shot you got. And we're now finding that if you're doing radiation and taking steroids with this type of medication, that it affects the CB1 and CB2 receptors, and you're having a little problem getting the same outcome if you're doing steroids. So yes. people call me and they say, what should I do? I'm doing steroids. I'm doing chemo. I'm doing this. I'm thinking, you do what your doctors tell you to do. They're not trying to kill you. They're just going with what they got. I said, so. If you got one shot of living and you're going to use just cannabis to try to save you, that's kind of uh, that's not that's not the way this is done in our book. You do what your doctors say. You do your cannabis treatment. And you meet in the middle and you 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 educate them on this because they have no idea about the endocannabinoid system. They have no idea about homeostasis. They have no idea that uh, these cannabinoids are causing apoptosis. And we found out from looking through the government's website, it is posted clean as day that they did this to rats and it killed it. Well, I'm better than a rat on my deathbed. I can guarantee you that, regardless of my history. I'm better than a rat. <laughs> Did you have any uh, negative impact from the chemo? Oh, yes, of course you do. Chemo is, is nasty, but it's doing exactly what the cannabis is doing on a different level. It's it's not good. It's killing all small cells of your body, and you're hoping that the ones that need to grow back are the ones that come back and, and, and explode in, you know, in, into health. I was having nausea. I never did lose no hair. I gained 12 pounds. Basically, my chemotherapy experience for the worst chemo you could get was basically like having the flu because of my smoking cannabis, eating the oils, and uh, just basically just throwing caution to the wind. You know, I was a two-pack-a-day cigarette smoker, and when I got diagnosed, they gave me a terminal diagnosis of three to six months. It was supposed to be a year. It ended up being three months with this tamponade surgery. So I didn't quit smoking my cigarettes. I said, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to go out my way. You know, I'm not a real religious person because I had some really – some big things in my life happen. I was a Pentecostal, raised that way, you know, real strict. Went on a soul-searching mission after a little abuse from the church uh, and uh, realized that, uh, you know, God wasn't bothering me. It was the people of the church that had free will that was causing me my religious problems. So I kind of stepped away, and now I am one of the most spiritual beings in the world. I've expanded my knowledge of – of everything to where I don't like to get into theological discussions with people because the power of prayer and positive thinking are such a big part of healing when you're sick. You know, well, it is proof you pray for people, 
those people get better. It's it, when you yell at fruit, it dies before fruit you didn't yell at. It's just positive vibes and energy and electricity. They make a difference. So, you know, praying, eating medicine, living your life the way you want to, and having clean conscience about it uh, heals you. I'd smoke two packs of cigarettes a day while I cured terminal lung cancer. Now, that's hard to tell people because it's not a good thing. But I was dying. I did, was not giving up my vices, you know, and that's just where we were, you know. That's where we were that day. You know, Darren, it's, looking at you and when you t- told us about how you were physically prior to being diagnosed with, pictures with, show with lung cancer. I mean, I look at you, I can see a picture of you here on Skype, and you look like you're in tremendous physical condition. I'm in better shape now than I've been in my whole life. I'm 52 years old. I have stage three multiple sclerosis, and I still have terminal cancer because uh, when they do a PET scan of me now, all they see is a big, dark spot in the middle of my chest. It's my heart full of talcum powder. Now, I go, is that suspicious for cancer? He goes, no. He goes, it's, we don't know. He said, do you feel sick? I said, no. He goes, well, you're, the tests all show you are completely cured of this disease. The after effects of the, uh, the tamponade surgery are what I got to live with now. I have a, Stabbing heart pains daily that uh, the doctor said, uh, I go, how long do I have to live with this heart condition? He told me daily. So I do everything I can to live my life. Have I changed anything since I was diagnosed? Not a thing. When I was dying, I ate cheeseburgers, red meat. I ate pixie sticks and candy. I ate cake. I was dying. Why would I change anything to try to, to save myself when they told me there was no chance of that? I was terminal. And to this day, I'm still trying to get rid of these vices that I have because I still smoke a lot of cannabis, which is good for me. I still smoke cigarettes, which is not. After curing lung cancer, that is just, it, it's sad, but I do. I still eat everything I want to eat, including uh, red meat. I love to eat sugar and cake and ding-dongs. And I, I love, you know, I just love everything about life. Even the things they say are not good for you. I have survived one of the craziest things in the world and since I have a toe tag on that don't have a date on it, I could die tonight. I could die in 10 years. I am not changing anything. Maybe it's a little irresponsible, but uh, my life is incredible. I have complications, but I'm, I'm a lucky man. I'm a testament to uh, the fact that cigarettes and other things, of course, help cause cancerous problems. But that's not, no, that's not why it happens. It's everything you do. It's what you eat, where you live, how you live. Everything has to do with what gets into your body and what causes this to happen. Now, and what's also ask, what's also important is mental attitude. Oh yeah, I had that the whole time. I was a, I was a fighter. Always have been. Uh, the MS had me down. I was a I was debilitated. I couldn't swallow. Couldn't walk. Blind sometimes. Wake up some days, your legs just don't work, and you're bedridden. But a week later, for some reason, you're walking again. MS is a really weird disease. Uh, and that's what I'm dealing with now is multiple sclerosis and the after effects of a pericardial tamponade surgery from having terminal cancer. It sounds like a mouthful, and uh, I know more, and I, I'm not bragging, but I go to the doctor just yesterday. I know more about this than any doctor standing in Barnes Hospital in St. Louis, and they're Washington University Hospital. We're one of the cutting-edge hospitals in the world as far as research. But when you start talking about endocannabinoid systems, they get this funny look on their face, they grin, and... They say they've heard of it, but they will not talk to you about it at all over Missouri. And I live in Illinois where the doctors are more lenient to talk about it, but they still are not educated in it. They just know the other doctors are giving cannabis. And the medical schools aren't teaching this. It's a, it's a shame. This is one of the most important things in a human being, a mammal's body. We have cured cancer in dogs. 
multiple dogs. We've seen a, a dog die of pneumonia recently because they put him on a, a, a after chemo instead of just let him live with cannabis. We cured the cancer with the oils, and then the dog went on an after chemo and got pneumonia and died. Now, who cures cancer and dies of pneumonia? That's insane, but that's what we're looking at today, you know. This it's, is this is an interesting interview because I'm sitting with uh, Corey Yellen, who was supposed to be dead five years ago, and you, you were supposed to be dead a couple of years two. ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of you are alive and thriving because of cannabis. Does Darren's story uh, resonate with you, Corey? A lot of it does, yeah. Like the point where he was talking about the doctor saying that it didn't look like he'd ever had cancer. Those were the exact words that my specialist wrote to my GP and said, if I if I hadn't known she had had cancer, I would say she never had. Same you thing. Know, exact same thing, yeah. Darren, when you were um, actively treating your uh, lung cancer uh, before you got the all clear, how much were you taking a day? I uh, stuck the protocol, but I... I it took me nine days to get up to a gram a day, and that's fast. Most people takes over a month. Yes, I'm well I, aware uh, of that. <laughs> I, I was dying, and I love the feeling, of course, with smoking and eating the tinctures and the dabs. I've done it all. But uh, within nine days, I was on a gram a day. Were you just... And the AOL eating was running in the 80% range. Mm-hmm. It was from California. There's a Northern Lights indica strain that was turned into this cannabis oil, and that's, that's what we swear by. This strain has helped a lot of our patients. I did 129 gram, 120 grams in 129 days. And I was very lethargic and very high, but I yeah. had a wife taking care of me who's an angel. I had friends and family who understood and kept coming by, but I didn't sleep my wife away, my life away. I uh, I took the medicine and kind of moseyed around, all messed up, and uh, enjoyed my time. My doctor told me I was going to die. Well, I'm not going to lay in bed. I can guarantee you that. I bought a four-wheeler. I went gun shooting, went deer hunting. I did everything you could do uh, as far as having a good time while I was at the worst part of my life dying in a... I do believe a lot of the you know the positive energy you talk about. I believe a lot of it had a lot to do with my healing. You know, I did not quit. I told my wife, I said, if I die out at the tree stand, that's where I want to die. Not laying in this bed, not bloated up with my friends sitting around, everybody crying. I I, I want to live the rest of my life the way I want to live it. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I believe I should be able to do that. And I, that's exactly what we did. The okay. thing about uh, Corey is that she never got up to a gram a day. Did you, Corey? No. It was just too much for her, but, you know, she took, how much did you take in total, would you say? Oh, gosh. 60 grams in 90 days. days. Yeah, I certainly didn't do the 60 and 90, because uh, I'm in disability. I couldn't afford it for starters. God bless my friends who helped me out. Yes. And I didn't go back for a year, because um, I didn't get up to that gram a day, and so I was convinced that because I hadn't gotten up to the gram a day, there's no way it would be gone. Um, so I finally went to the doctor after a year, and I was completely clear. I probably That's- at most got up to, I'm being really generous if I say I got up to uh, two-thirds of a gram a day. I did a, uh, 120, uh, 120 grams in 129 days, got cured, really wanted to jump start because we started helping people get their hands on this all over the world. Now, I can honestly say in the last 700 days, I probably did 500 grams because I'm still doing between a third and a half a gram daily or more mm-hmm. when I have access. Other than that, I'm doing the daily maintenance amount maintenance, of a few grains yeah. of rice. Yeah. We found that dogs only need to do a couple grains of rice a day for about three or four weeks, and it starts happening. Yeah, anim- animals are, are yeah. Know, in quotations, easy to clear. Resuppositories. Um, I, I spoke um, in uh, Prague at Canifest in Prague uh, last November, 
and I sat on a board with uh, four of the top uh, doctors um, in this subject from different corners of the world, and it was unanimous that they all agreed the best way uh, way or app to um, or application was to do it rectally, that there was more bioavailability. What I have found in my own... They're saying you got to take carrier oils like coconut oils with it and because you're going to digest too much of it. What we have found, and this is just from pure case study of us helping hundreds of people, with a success rate, I'm serious, of over 75-80% of people who get this soon enough, who aren't in a hospice yet. Mm-hmm. We pull hospice patients out of death. It's insane. But I'm not trying to argue this spell the fact of the rectal application, but what I'm finding in, in our area is if you have a colon cancer, something that is in that area, like Tommy Chong had, you know, a prostate cancer, that's when you want to use a rectal application because most people don't like the euphoria, so they get knocked away from trying to get to the gram a day. And like Rick Simpson just put out, it, and I've talked to him recently, no one has been high or hurt from being high. If you're getting high and you can't handle that feeling, there's a problem because you, undoubtedly your will to live isn't as good as most because... It's, it, it comes down right to the fact that no one has ever been hurt in the history of man from using this product. Now, there are other ways of doing it, but we don't know. And you say you're seeing uh, these, these, these medical professionals talk about this, even though they haven't studied it. They're just going by what they're being told because there's no paperwork on this except for in Spain. These are people who are involved directly in treating patients these with cannabis. guys like uh, Dr. Bob Melamede. Yeah, well, and, and we've, seen, our, we've seen hundreds of cases, and we're not seeing the same results with the erectile as we are oral. But I'm not telling people right away to even do it rectally. I'm saying eat this medicine. Uh, I keep getting a controversy about carrier oils. People say you have to dilute it. with. I said if you take a half a gram of oil and eat it, you get high off of it. You take a half a gram of oil and mix it with coconut oil and eat it, you get high off of it. <laughs> The problem is we don't know because the government will not release this for study. And until it's studied, we are the only guinea pig test subjects study group there is. And we're getting positive results, but we're not getting clinical results because we don't have the control group. To, you know, We don't have some people taking a placebo and some taking cannabis oil. When you're terminal, you don't want to be the placebo guy. Believe me. <laughs> These studies, they give everybody, well, you're going to die. Let's go ahead and put you on a study. We mean you're studying me so as I die, you can see something doesn't work. I would not do a study if they even – I'd rather do cannabis oil and take my chances. But I do stress, do what your doctors say. Even though we've heard all these negative things about the, the, uh, the radiation and the steroid you know, along with the cannabis oil, how do we know until they can study this? You, you don't know. And, and some people only got one shot at this. Like me, I had one shot. So I did everything I do in my own way and dying the way I wanted to die. And, boy, I just got lucky, and I get to, uh, to help people now. I have over 3,200 messages a day in my messenger, and – they want to come to my home in Illinois and do what I did. And I, I can help from a distance. I can tell you how to make it. I can set you up in California and Colorado with people I know recreation that will help you for free. But you got to go there because they surely aren't going to put themselves in prison to send you medicine in the mail, which people are mailing it all over the world because CBD is being mailed and they're not stopping it. So they're mailing RSO oil. But do you want to be that one that gets caught and made an example out of when you're sick? I surely don't, but I would. If I had to go to jail for people to get better, I would. But I don't want to have to get felonies, lose my gun rights, you know, everything I've worked my whole life to keep. I don't want to lose that over this. But uh, this is so important to me. I would do anything besides die again to get this to everybody who needs it. It's that important to me. It really is. Darren, how has this incident, I guess, how has this saving your life changed your attitude toward life? Okay, uh, I want to share something I haven't shared a lot with, with everybody. Uh, I've been sober for, uh, for it'll be 10 years, September the 24th. 
I had a crack cocaine addiction problem when I was younger after my first divorce. I lost my first wife. Uh, I was an addict. I was homeless. I was on the street. Okay. Life had dealt me those cards, and there were a lot of decisions I made that put me there. It wasn't life. It was me. By bad decision-making, you know, a lot of things going on there. But uh, once I crossed over into the line of addiction, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do this treatment and use cannabis as a medicine because I have this mindset that it's not medicine, that it's a drug. Of course it's a drug. It's a harmless drug that has been used for thousands of years in mammals and, and no one's ever died from it. So I, I justified that enough to get the treatment going because I was smoking it for my MS. But now that I look back, I still got 10 years sober. I've not trust, touched my drug of choice. I know a lot of people that are in, in a situation where they say they really can't do the cannabis because it's illegal. Well, it's illegal right now where you live, but if you don't do it, you're probably going to die. Where should that line be drawn? You know, I mean, we have legal abortion in this in this in this country. We have non-illegal abortion. You know, people at every pro-life, not pro-life. Where do you put a value on life where you can save yourself? Is what I'm saying. This plan, and the government knows it for so long. It started with paper back in the 30s and 40s, and then it went to a drug war. And then once they found out that that, that you know that they can make cannabis into oil and plastic, it's just we knew right then, you know, it was going to not be able for everybody to have. It's, it's, it will, it's world changing. It'll change our, our economics. It'll change our health. It'll definitely change the pharmaceutical industry. We know this because they're, uh, they're fighting back tooth and nail trying to stop this. Every politician we got are being paid by donors from the pharmacy industry. How are we ever going to get this done unless we put people like Kid Rock and ourselves in Senate? <laughs> I'm serious. We need people who know what's going on who aren't of the 80 year old. You know, these, these older people, you know, I'm sorry, old people just don't, are never going to get it. It's going to be our generation that saves people. You know, the people in their 50s, 20s, 30s, people that know it are using it and are, are, are thriving from it are going to bring this back. But until all these old politicians get out of office, these 80, 90-year-old old-timers, we're never going to change nothing. Darren, it was a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks very much for doing this. We very much appreciate it. Thank you very much. You guys take care and spread the message, please. And as we've said many times before, if you'd like to tell your story about your medical use of cannabis, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.